1: Welcome to the show. It's the Tuesday edition of the Word to Stand Up for Life. I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh from Calvary Chapel in San Antonio, Texas. And as you know, this is a question or a program rather takes your phone calls and questions, questions about stuff going on in your life, Bible questions, questions about church life, anything and everything. All you need to do is to call. You can dial 210-340-9585. That's 340-9585. If you're outside the local San Antonio area, you can call toll-free at 877-630-KSLR, numerically at 630-5757. You can also email questions to us by emailing questions at calvarysa.com. Or you can use our free Calvary Chapel of San Antonio mobile app. And remember, if you are driving in your car, the safest way to call is use the free KSLR mobile app. Uh, Just hit the Call Now banner at the top of the screen and everything else will be hands-free and you'll be safe and will be blessed. It's Tuesday, so I'm going to get right to uh, questions. Uh, Let me first say, however that uh, this is an opportunity for Christians to pray. Tiger Woods, as most of you know by now, has been involved in a very serious car accident in Los Angeles and is in surgery. Um, They don't know much about his uh, injuries other than uh, they seem to be uh, um, legs and pelvis area, uh, but he's in very serious condition. So keep Tiger Woods and his family in your prayers, please. I asked that, and it may sound strange on a Christian show, not to ask for prayer, but but that Tiger Woods would come up. Um, I don't do it every day anymore, but for many, 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 many years, ever since his incident back in Florida uh, a long time ago now, I prayed for Tiger every day. I see a man with so much talent, a man that's so gifted, and yet a man whose life was in such conflict all the time. And, um, uh, you know, I I tell you this on this radio program, when you pray for somebody... Uh, especially if you pray for them on a regular basis. Uh, God sort of deposits them in a place in your heart. And and uh, I'm going to be praying now for Tiger even more. And, uh, of course, the prayer is that he's physically going to be okay. But this is a, a a man that needs Jesus Christ in his life, and that needs to be the focus of our prayers. So I appreciate those of you who will put Tiger in your prayers. Let's go to the phones. We've got Ruben, our friend from Seguin on line one. Ruben, thanks for calling. You're on the air
3: god bless you pastor ron uh just uh my heart goes out i didn't know about tiger woods but definitely we will be keeping him in prayer Uh, thank you ruben and i just want to let you know that um this is not a question um what i just wanted to do was i wanted to just give all honor and glory to god uh last week during this uh winter storm uh we went three days without electricity without water and Mm. no way to contact anyone. Uh, And it was freezing Monday night and I prayed. Like I've, I don't think I've ever prayed this way before, because if you would've saw the way my dad was, it just broke my heart. He was Mm. shivering and we had, we didn't have that many blankets. And then I called the sheriff's department, the fire department, the police department, Uh, nobody had blankets. I'm like, you gotta be kidding. But the Lord said, "Who is your provider?" Mm. He literally told me that at three o'clock in the morning, while I was waiting up for my, looking at my dad and just shivering, and He goes, "Who is your provider?" And I said, "You, Lord." And long story short, we made it. We mm-hmm. made it with with three nights of below freezing temperatures, and just a little bit of covers and blankets, one blanket each, and bologna. <laughs> That's what we had. <laughs> but I want to thank God, because His Word is true. If we are Christians, and we say we love the Lord, and we say we know... I, I love, I love uh, your intro, or the outro. I don't know which one it is, but the young lady that does it, she says mm-hmm. something like, um, read... Fall in love with the Bible. What does what yep. she say? And you'll fall, fall in she, love with Christ. She says, fall,
1: fall in love with the Bible. You'll fall in love with Jesus. And then she says, we promise.
3: <laughs> yes, yes. And it, 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 I got closer to God in those dark times. And then it brought me to, like, David when he was running from, from I'm not cons- comparing myself to David, but. I'm thinking the Lord made me kind of like think about him. When he was running from Saul and he was in those caves and he was he didn't have any food. We don't know, at least I don't know what year, time of year it was. It could have been cold. It could have been raining. You know, he could have been freezing just like we were. But God was with him and saying, David, I got you. I got you. And they were like, Reuben, I got you and your dad.
1: Gosh, yes, Ruben, thank you very much. You, you, you embarrass me because I didn't do so well with the cold. Paula and I, uh, we actually—and this was not Paula. She's braver than I am. But, but we actually went to a hotel uh, Monday afternoon. Uh, just I, I didn't couldn't handle the, the the power going out. So God bless you, and and um, glad to hear that you and your dad are doing doing well. Appreciate it very very much. Three four zero ninety five eighty five. By the way, um, Ruben mentioned the the intro and the outro. Uh, that's on our teaching program, our half hour Bible program that appears uh, on this radio station and other radio stations in town and all over the country. Uh, that is Pastor Ken's wife, May, who does that voice outro. Uh, and uh, the reason I bring that up is I would ask for prayer for May. Her father uh, was taken to the hospital last night. He's in Northern California. Uh, her father was taken to the hospital uh, last night uh, and uh, was in surgery um, and uh, is in pretty bad shape. Uh, that that was the latest report I had. I know that May is going uh, tomorrow uh, to California to be able to see him. So please keep May Cruzado and her father uh, in your prayers. We would appreciate that as well. And Ruben, I know you pray for us all the time. So um, pray for the girl with the great voice. Here is a question from Dina or Dinah. I'm not sure which Dina or Dinah. Um, She says, does what we believe about the end times determine how we interpret the Bible? Um, Dina, it shouldn't. Um, You know, when we are discussing doctrine, uh, especially in the area you asked about eschatology, the study of of the end things or the end times, um, we shouldn't let that change what we believe doctrinally about other issues. Um, what we should do is come up with an eschatology that is consistent with what the Word says. Then you don't go back and reinterpret the Bible. If your interpretation is correct on the end times, then you just simply lay that uh, beside. Uh, the other doctrines, and they're all going to be consistent. It's a beautiful thing about a sound doctrine. Um, You know, there's no uh, manipulating, there's no um, um, finagling to to make it say something that we want it to say. Now, I have seen people who, sort of the opposite of your question, um, what they believe about a certain doctrine will influence what they believe about the end times. And and I, I just think that's a dangerous way to interpret what Scripture says. You know, um, when we're looking at the intent. Now, now, obviously, Dina, I'm uh, um, pro uh, or premillennial, pre-tribulation um, rapture uh, guy. And the Bible, I think, could not be any more clear. But when we take our position, we have to weigh the position that we've arrived at against um, what we know about who Jesus is, about his character, about his nature, about the promises that he's made. And I'll just give you an example. It is impossible for Christians to be here during the Great Tribulation because the Great Tribulation is the wrath of God being poured out on a Christ-rejecting world. There is no serious Bible scholar who would reject that statement. They may say, well, we're going to be in the Great Tribulation... But 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 everybody understands that the, the time called Jacob's trouble or Israel's distress is a time worse than anything that's ever happened. We know it hasn't happened yet. It's worse than anything that's ever happened or anything that will ever happen after that. It's God's judgment being poured out on a Christ-rejecting world. Now, he could not leave Christians here during that because God has already poured out his wrath on his son, So that we would be excluded from that. We are not appointed unto wrath, Paul writes of the churches in Thessalonica, but unto salvation. And and God simply cannot punish people who are righteous. Jesus and Abraham had a whole negotiation over this. Far be it for the the, the righteous God of all the earth to punish the, the righteous with the wicked. And Jesus agreed, no, I can't do that. Even when the angels grabbed Lot, Lot described in the New Testament as righteous Lot, they snatched him away from the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah, God's wrath being poured out on them. And the angel said to him, come on, we got to go. I can't do anything until you leave this place, until you're out of here. So they snatched him away. What a picture that is of the rapture of the church. So Um, The only effect, Dina, that uh, believing uh, as we do in a pre-trib, pre-mill eschatology is that we should be looking every day for the soon return of Jesus. Every single day could be the day. Today still, uh, while it's after four o'clock, today could be the day Jesus comes. And we need to be looking to that eastern sky because Jesus is going to call us home to be with him. He's going to uh, catch us up in the air. And we'll, we'll meet him there. And then we'll, we'll go to heaven and be with Jesus for a time on earth that's seven years long. For those of us in heaven, it'll only seem like a moment. But that's when we are, are the guests of honor at the marriage supper of the Lamb. So believing that Jesus is coming at any moment should change the way we live. And that's what the Bible says. Paul talks about uh, uh, consider the time. Um, Redeem the time. Why? Because the days are short. So living with this expectation that Jesus can come at any moment should change everything about our walk. It should create a sense of urgency. Paul also writes to the church at Rome, never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. If, If we really believe that Jesus is coming at any moment, then we're going to want to be found faithful. When he calls us home. So I hope that answers your question, Dina. Um, Remember, doctrine doesn't have to be manipulated or or contrived. Uh, If your doctrine, uh, your positions doctrinally are are right ones, then everything fits really beautifully. Where um, with the rest of Scripture. Thank you for the question. Gail said, Pastor Ron, you've said that people will die in the millennium. What happens to them? Um, Gail, in the millennium, remember now, there's going to be uh, billions of people. I mean, for a thousand years, people who start out in the millennium in flesh and blood bodies, not Christians. Gail, we're going to be in our physically glorified, resurrected bodies. Um, but, But... We're going to rule and reign with Jesus over billions upon billions of people, multiplied billions of people, um, who are on the earth living during Jesus' reign from the throne of David for a thousand years in a redeemed earth, in a perfectly righteous and just world. And those people, some of them will die. Isaiah says, uh, an infant a man that's said to die at 100 years of age will be considered an infant. So when they die, what happens to them is going to depend on whether or not they were born again. In the the millennial reign, uh, actually beginning in the Great Tribulation, um, there's going to be a great revival. And people that get born again and who survive the Great Tribulation are going to go into um, the millennial reign Uh, with jesus for a thousand years but but the people that will die because they commit crime or because they sin or because they rebel against jesus then what will happen to them because they weren't born again they're people that are going to spend forever and eternity now for the first thousand years um, they are going to be in the place in luke chapter 16 where the rich man went where he was in torment um after the thousand years, they will be thrown into the lake of fire, which is what we will call the final destination or the final hell. So that's what happens to them, Gail. Thank you very much. Marie said, God chose Moses, so why did God want to kill him in Exodus chapter four? Um, Marie, God, he didn't want to kill. Moses, but but this was going to be a judgment. Now remember that Moses uh, was chosen by God to be the deliverer for Israel. Moses understood the need to be circumcised. He understood the covenant uh, of, of circumcision that was given to Abraham. Uh, and yet Moses, as the leader of God's people, the deliverer of God's people, hadn't even had his own son circumcised. Now, the principle is simple. Jesus said, to whom much is given, much more is required. And God simply couldn't use a disobedient um, believer. Moses certainly was a great man, a believer. He's in Hebrews chapter 11. Uh, but the truth of the matter is, is, is. Moses caved in to his wife's demands that their children not be circumcised. And when Jesus appeared to him on that road and was about to kill him, she understood the seriousness of it, so she took the flint knife and and she performed the circumcision herself and just threw it all down and said, this bloody religion you've got in. And that's when she left Moses and took the kids back home. So it was an example. Leaders have to lead by example. And if Moses wasn't obedient, then there was no way that God could use him to do as he did. But he was spared. And, of course, God led the people uh, through Moses uh, in the wilderness experience. 340 for your live calls and questions. Here's a question from Brian. Why did Jesus tell people not to speak to others about his miracles? And then Brian says, that makes no sense to me. You know, Brian, I think one of the things we have to realize is that the way we see the world and the way God sees the world are completely different ways. His ways are not our ways. His ways are higher. His thoughts are higher than ours. You know, we have a tendency to look at things from the perspective of earth and think, well, yeah, if Jesus did all these miracles, he'd want people to see so they'd come and believe. Well, two things. One, we know that people did not believe because of the miracles. Some, a few did, but by far, most did not. They always wanted more miracles or or more proof. Um, But but the real reason Jesus told them not to tell anybody else, and you look in your Bible, Brian, and what you're going to find is that the people that he told not to tell, well, they told anyway. But Jesus would tell him not to tell because his time had not yet come. He knew there were some situations, especially when crowds were huge, where they would come and try to make him uh, king. He's He's the Christ, the Messiah. They'd want to take him and force him to rule and reign. And Jesus said the time wasn't right. Now, we need to remember, Brian, that Jesus never did anything independent of his father's will. What he said and what he did was because that was what the Father spoke to him, he heard it, or what the Father told him to do. And so when Jesus says, my time has not yet come, that was the Father. That was the, the Holy Spirit that descended on Jesus in the form of a dove. That was direct communication from, from, from heaven. And so Jesus simply wanted to do the miracles. He knew that people um, wouldn't believe, and yet still in his compassion and mercy He healed throngs of people, throngs of people. I was just reading in Matthew chapter 15, 14 and 15 this morning. And Jesus had compassion on people and he healed everybody. That was the heart of the Father being poured out. But then Jesus would almost always go off by himself, Because he wanted people to, one, see his example, his life of prayer. But really, he was going for more directions, more orders. I call it orders from headquarters. So, Brian, that's why he told them not to tell others about his miracles. Problem is, they didn't listen to him. And uh, Jesus worked with that. Here is a question from Jose. Uh, Do Christians consider Mormons or Jehovah's Witnesses brothers in Christ? And if not, why not? Um, Jose, that's a a fairly easy question uh, to answer. Mormons and Jehovah's Witnesses, though they use much of the same language, they use the same name, they talk about Jesus, they've got a different Jesus. And both Mormons and Jehovah's Witnesses are cults, uh, unhealthy, uh, a cult defined by... um, groups that diminish the character, the nature of Jesus, or try to change the character uh, of Jesus. Um, The Mormons believe that Jesus is the spirit brother of Lucifer, uh, a created being. Um, The Jehovah's Witnesses believe that Jesus is Michael the archangel, another created being, and both deny that he is creator God. And the Bible is really, really clear. But, Jose, that makes them cults rather than religions. Now, religions have all kinds of differences, but, but when they take the, the, the basic character and nature of God and change it, then we've got some real problems. And so that's why uh, Mormons and Jehovah's Witnesses are not uh, brothers or sisters in the Lord. Now, let me say this. I am certain that there are some Mormons who are believers. Um I'm certain that there are some, very few Jehovah's Witnesses, who are real believers. They name the name of Christ. Um uh, they've got uh, Jehovah's Witnesses, the watchtower telling them what to do. The the Mormons have their own uh books and, and uh and and people out on the streets talking to people and and people get trapped. But God knows the heart. And if the Holy Spirit lives in them, eventually they will be uh, moved away from those cults, but remember, it's really difficult to get away from a cult. The the, the, the mind control, uh, the 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 satanic grip that people have on them uh, in those cults—it's very, very difficult. Jose, good question. Pray for your Mormon neighbors and friends, and same with your Jehovah's Witnesses. Frank, I don't have enough time for that one. I'll get that one on the top of the break. Um, Anonymous says, uh, Pastor, I'm getting married soon. Do you have any books you suggest for my fiancé and me to read that will help us? Um, Anonymous, I'm thrilled to be able to answer this question. I'm going to tell you, read the Bible. Read Ephesians. Read Colossians. uh, Read 1 Corinthians. Read Genesis chapter 2. But, But... But this isn't about books. You know, one of the problems with books, self-help books, uh, is sort of the genre, um, we can't help ourselves. So, anonymous, read the Bible. You and your fiancé, read it together. And as you read the Bible together. Let the Holy Spirit begin to work on knitting your hearts together in Christ, and he'll open your hearts and open your minds in ways that you never believed possible. I'm going to give you a suggestion, Anonymous. Um, uh, I just finished the last Friday. We weren't here last Friday because of the freeze, but the Friday before and then the three Fridays before that. So a total of four Fridays uh, Our last studies um, in Ephesians, Ephesians, beginning in chapter five, verse twenty-one. Go to our website calvarysa.com and listen together to those messages, and follow along in the Word of God. And I promise you, the Holy Spirit will begin to prompt your heart and speak to your heart about uh, about the, the the things, the issues that that um, that He wants to deal with before you and your fiance marry. Um, please get involved in premarriage counseling. But do it at a place that's going to have the Bible open and I tell you, this is what God says. Uh, I'm not a fan at all of, of books, uh, what the, you know, things that man has written uh, as a replacement for that which God has written that covers this very thing. So anonymous congratulations on getting married soon, but do it the right way. Make sure that yours is a marriage that honors the Lord. Well, we have 30 minutes left in the program. We'd love your live calls and questions. 340-9585 or toll free 877-630-KSLR. This is the word to stand up for life. We'll be back in two minutes. Got a question for Pastor Ron and the word to stand on for life? You can send it to him via email at PastorRonKSLR at gmail.com. That's
0: PastorRonKSLR at gmail.com. back to the Word to Stand On for Life. We're taking your calls at 340-9585 or toll-free 877-630-KSLR. Now, here's Pastor Ron Arbaugh.
1: Welcome back to the second half of our Tuesday program, 340-9585. Here's a question from Nacho from our email inbox. Uh, Pastor Ron, in Revelation 16.10, is the darkness the cause of the pain as described, so can you describe such darkness? I've heard people experience and describe some darkness as overwhelming. It was so dark you could feel it as that's what's being described. Let me read the the verse uh, nacho, and then uh, we'll talk about it. It's revelation sixteen ten it says the fifth angel poured out his bowl on the throne of the beast, and his kingdom became full of darkness, and they gnawed their tongues because of the pain. Now, I've actually, Nacho, had a toothache that was so bad that I would bite down hard on my tongue just to just to distract me from the pain of the tooth before. So, so I kind of get this, not, not in the same way that people in Revelation 16 are going to get it. But remember a couple of things. One is that this is toward the end of, of all of the, 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 the great tribulation and the horrors, the terrors that are going to come upon the world. Um, these men are so hard-hearted. It says, they gnaw their tongue in agonies and curse the God of heaven, even though they knew that this was the Lamb of God. They just refused to repent of the things that they had done. Now, um, when it says the fifth angel poured out his throne, uh, poured out on his bowl on the throne of the beast, and the kingdom was plunged into darkness. Um, what's being described here is horror that is beyond anything that we can imagine. Um, you know, in the Exodus plague, uh, they said it's darkness you can feel. Now, again, we don't have any frame of reference for that, Nacho. But but what this is 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 the end is near. I don't know if you've ever been so afraid. That You couldn't move, you couldn't do anything, but just the horror was setting in. That's what's going to be happening here. The darkness that man is living in, or has been living in, separated from God, is about to engulf them. Now, in this particular case, this is not a worldwide plague. It is region-specific. It's poured out on the kingdom of the Antichrist, on the revived Roman Empire, Babylon and 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 all of those places that are are opponents of God, uh, they're going to feel this this darkness. You can feel now. A couple of things. One, this is a picture. I think an intentional picture of eternity separated from God. Jesus talked about deepest, darkest blackness will be reserved for them, and 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 things will be so painful that the the men will gnaw on their tongues for relief. I don't think there's a more graphic picture the Holy Spirit could paint for us um, um, uh, uh, regarding hell. He's trying to spare us from of it. Um, One of my favorite old-time commentators, a man named William Newell, said that if a man will not be won by grace, they will never be won. Uh, In this case, though, their agony is severe. Uh, again, so much that they're gnawing on their tongues. Um, that's less agonizing than the other things they're experiencing. Uh, yet they still refuse to repent. Now remember that that the sun uh, is going to scorch them. Uh, that's going to be the the a source of the pain. Um, There's still people that are are reeling from being afflicted with the scorpions that came out of the the the, the pit or out of the abyss. So there is going to be um, so much pain. Um, but the idea here is there's no escape from it. There's just no escape from it. And that's that's what's being referred to here. Nice question, Nacho. Thank you very, very much. Here is a question from Frank, the one I said didn't have time uh, on the other side. But Frank said, is believing Adam and Eve being the first real historical people essential to being a Christian. Uh, Frank, it really, really is. Now, you're going to get a lot of argument from some people, especially those who are on the liberal or progressive side, all the while claiming to be Christians. But I want you to think about this. If, If Adam and Eve are not the first real historical people, then God has lied to us. And there are people who say, well, no, no, that's just an allegory. Uh, God didn't mean for Genesis 1 and 2 to be taken literally. But wait a minute, let's move down the corridor of time, thousands of years. When Jesus talked about Adam and Eve, he said they were the first real historical people. So if you choose not to believe that, if you believe, for example, in the theory of evolution, then you're calling Jesus a liar. And Jesus fully declared, intentionally so, that Adam and Eve, in the beginning God made them, Adam and Eve. And if that's not true, then what else did Jesus lie to us about? And by the way, the Bible calls God a not-lying God. If if God lied, then he's not God. And if he's not God, we don't have a God. We're not saved. So, Frank, it is an essential of the historic Christian faith. Now, there are, again, scholars and liberal scholars and theologians that will say, no, you don't have to believe in a young earth. You don't have to believe that Adam and Eve were the first. You can believe in science. I've got a question that I won't get to today um, uh, about uh, science uh, proving evolution to be true. Um, You can't believe in those things. And still call yourself belonging to Christ because, well, if you belonged to him, you would agree with him. So, Frank, you rip your Bible to shreds if you don't believe Adam and Eve were the first real historical people. I was listening to a question. I was asked another pastor uh, about how old the earth was. And we don't really know how old the earth is, but here's what we know. We know it's not millions of years old or even hundreds of thousands of years old. We can accurately conclude that the earth is 10,000 years or less old, but there's no evidence at all that suggests that the earth is hundreds of thousands or millions or billions of years old. Out of the mouth of Jesus, we've got to believe it, Frank, and hold on. It is a very unpopular position. Uh, because I know it doesn't matter. That's that's a that's a, a nonessential. Um, anything that you believe that makes Jesus a liar is really essential. So Frank, hold on. Don't let people talk you out of it. That's how important it is. Here's a question from Brock. I had a cousin named Brock growing up. It's not a very common name. Uh, he says in First Samuel 28, was it really Samuel who appeared to Saul, and the witch of Endor? Um, Brock, it appears so. It really was Samuel. Um, you know, God is in charge of the spirit world, just like when Jesus raised Lazarus, he said, Lazarus, come forth, and Lazarus came out of that family tomb. Um, if God wanted to summon Samuel up, um, and the Witch of Endor, of course, we know was the most surprised person in the world at that moment, because she knows she dealt in, in, in demonic activity, fakery, Um, But this was really Samuel. Now, I also want you to remember, Brock, because this doesn't justify um, summoning the dead or speaking to the dead or going to seances or anything like that. When God allowed Samuel to come, he came with a pronouncement of judgment. Because you disturbed me. And I'll paraphrase, because you didn't trust God, you came to this witch for direction. Let me tell you what's going to happen tomorrow. You and your sons are going to join me. And, and he didn't mean in heaven. He meant you're going to join me in death. And of course, we know, Brock, that's exactly what happened. The next day, um, Saul and his sons both died. Uh, and the way was then paved for David, uh, God's king, the rightful king, to take over. Here is a question from Jeffrey. He said, do you have any tips on helping me to memorize scripture? Jeffrey, I'm not a really good um, scripture memorizer. Um, what I've memorized is always King James just because it sort of sticks out. Um, but but believe me, when you're making an effort to memorize scripture, God will really and truly use that. So the only tip I can give, uh, I'm sure there are people that, that are... Uh, are much better in giving advice on this than I am. Um, the only way I remember things is with repetition. It's the only thing I remember. You've got to touch your Bible so often that you remember. God will write those words uh, in your brain and in your heart, and, and you'll have access to them at times when you don't know. And, and when you step out in faith to begin using them, Jeffrey, then you're going to find that you remember a lot more than you thought you did. You ever been talking to somebody and just start, scripture starts coming and think why well, didn't know I I knew all that well? That's the result of you hiding them in your heart. But for me, Jeffrey, um, the only way I know how to to memorize things and I've tried. I I, I one time made it a point to memorize uh, the book of Philippians. That was going to be my my test case. I made it through one chapter, uh, but it was agonizing for me truth now is that I've just read it so many times, I remember most of it. So um, for me, repetition. Now, I'll say this. In our school, in our Bible class, um, our Bible class teachers have in years past, I don't know if they're still doing it, but they've allowed uh, some of the students to miss their final exams if, in fact, they would memorize a whole book or a whole chapter, or the assignments were different. And I can't tell you how many kids we had around here a couple of years ago who had Romans chapter 8 completely memorized. And and their motivation was, you don't have to take the test, you get an A uh, on the test if you, on the final exam, uh, if, you, if you memorize the whole chapter. And for some, of course, oh, I can't ever memorize that. I think there was one Old Testament book uh, might have been Ruth. I'm not sure if it was Ruth, um, but but one Old Testament book where they memorized it. It was Jonah. I think it was Jonah. And if they memorized it, then they didn't have to uh, have to take the test. And and a lot of the kids did it with the right motivation. David says that if that he's hidden God's word in his heart, so that I may not sin against you. So memorizing scripture is a good thing. Um but we've got to be honest. Some of us have a greater capacity to do that than others. I'm just one of those who doesn't. Hope that helps. Wendy says Oops, I got a phone call. I'm sorry. Wendy, I'll get to your question after this. We have Jeff on line one from San Antonio. Hey Jeff, it's not Thursday.
2: I know it's not Thursday. It's okay. <laughs> and I'm not gonna dance around or anything. So only on Thursday. <laughs> so good to hear your voice, Pastor Ron. I mean, I didn't get to Thank hear, you. hear the show at all last week. I, I totally missed what happened to you in, in Oklahoma, if you guys actually had the marriage retreat or if you got snowed yeah. out or didn't go. Yeah,
1: Jim, they, they canceled it on, on Monday. Um, mm-hmm. You know, we were worried about some people that were driving up. Sam was going to go up, our producer of the show, was mm-hmm. going to take the radio equipment up there. And and they, they they had so much ice in Oklahoma that they canceled. It's going to be rescheduled, I think, in May. So we didn't go. So we were here, uh, but everything was closed down. So uh, without electricity, we just couldn't do the program. So uh, I missed hearing me too.
2: Yeah, I'm sure you did. <laughs> Yeah, and I was thinking today, do you you remember Walter Cronkite? Of course you do. Oh, yeah. Of course I do. You know, and you remember, like, I guess we were, well, you were a little bit older than me, but um, hearing his voice at the end of the night, you know, that's the way it is. You know, it was just, he had, he was one of those broadcasters that had that, you know, he just felt like comfort with him, with the news. And another one that I loved was Paul Harvey. <laughs> who, who people said, "Hey, are you related to Paul Harvey?" I'm like, "No, no, but I wish I was." <laughs>
1: yeah,
2: but um, but you you are like quickly ranking up there with me personally with like Walter Cronkite because I hear <laughs> I hear your voice and I just have this I just have this sense, this trust in 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 your understanding, your knowledge, and and but you know overall your heart and your spirit both you and your wife, but you're becoming as comfortable as Walter Cronkite. I just wanted to tell you that.
1: <laughs> God bless you, Jeff. I, I, I'm thinking of the of the famous line Dan Quayle had in a, uh, when he was talking about uh, John F. Kennedy. And uh, I think it was Lloyd Benson, the, the vice presidential candidate that he was debating. And, and Benson looked at him and said, I knew John Kennedy. And Mr. Quayle, you are no John Kennedy. <laughs> so I, that's I just kind of I feel. Thank you. I appreciate it.
2: I do have a little question for you. It's kind of a, you know, we've we've been talking about end time eschatology and, uh, and I know, I know you've said many times, just share Jesus, you know, Mm -hmm. share Jesus, share Jesus and be ready. And, and my wife is also in in that same space and she gets a little, sometimes a little bit upset with me because I have some projects I'm working on. One is a a book, uh, which I'm, almost finished with and another is a a recording project that i'm almost finished with too and she'll say you know you're you're wasting your time jesus is going to be here soon (laughs) and you know and you're not going to be able to do anything with that and my my feeling is it's it's ministry it's geared towards ministry and i and it's something that you know gives me great delight to be able to work on i feel (laughs) very you know spirit called to do it but i i I struggle a little bit sometimes because when I think about that too, I'm like, well, maybe I am wasting my time. Maybe, maybe I should be, you know, literally more out in the street, you know, maybe joy of Jesus should be more of like my daily life than, than just, you know, uh, on occasion. And so what do you, what do you, how do you look at that kind of thing? You know, when we have our little things that we're working on and, and now we're living in the political environment and the, you know, the, the, uh, the environment itself now, how things are changing so radically. I mean,
1: yeah. maybe
2: we shouldn't be wasting our time with certain things. Anyway, yeah, that's enough of
1: that. yeah. yeah, Jeff, I, I, I get this. And, and the key for me, you, you said spirit called is the word you use spirit. I would use the word spirit led. Um, you know, we're to occupy until he comes. We don't know when he's coming. We're to be found uh, working hard. Um, and not growing weary in well doing, and so what we what we have to do is we've got to be able to discern whether it's our project or Jesus's project. And if it's Jesus's project, then we do it. Now, a book is a good example. You're you're doing uh, you're, you're writing a book, um, and and maybe the day it gets done. Rapture of the church happens. You're with Jesus. I promise you, you won't be disappointed. I promise you, you won't think, well, I didn't even get to get my book published. It, you won't care. And who knows, maybe that book will be a bestseller, figuratively speaking, in, in heaven. But but the reward you will get is for being faithful to do that which you believe God has called you to do. And I think there's a, a point in time, and, and I saw this, I've seen this over the years with a lot of Christians um, that, that I know got saved during the Jesus people movement into the late 60s and 70s, well, the last great revival, uh, a lot of those people got tired of waiting for Jesus to come. And they sort of slacked off and fell away. It's like, oh, he, where is this coming? It's like Peter says, where is this coming? Well, God is not slack or slow concerning his promise. He's patient, unwilling that any should perish. And as long as Jesus is being patient, then we need to be about what God has called us to do. So it's not just about telling people about Jesus. Of course, we should be doing that. Uh, but there are still a lot of things that God has called us to do. And, and we're supposed to be faithful in those things, um, uh, whether he's coming right away or whether or not uh, he's going to, going to delay his coming for a time, but being faithful. So, Jeff, what I would do is discern whether or not this is a Jeff project or a Jesus project. If it's a Jesus project, it doesn't matter how long it takes you. Uh, do it. Do all things as unto the Lord. And when you do that, uh, I promise you, uh, it will have an impact in the kingdom of heaven. And your rewards that you receive for being faithful in those things uh, will will be rewards. I promise you. Don't want to miss out. So I, I we we just can't live. Sort of a, well, Jesus is coming, so we're not going to do anything else. Everything is about telling people about Jesus. Uh, because it's not. Being kind to people, um, uh, loving people, being compassionate, um, um, putting your arm around somebody who's really, really hurting. Uh, I've had two people in my office today um, who've received bad medical news, and, and, you know, sometimes you just hold them. Uh, you, you wouldn't tell somebody who's sick, oh, don't worry, Jesus is coming. You, you're still doing the work that God has called you to do. And I think that's what we do. So if your projects are Jesus' projects, you keep doing them, and you do them as unto the Lord, I promise you there will be rewards for them. And if they don't get done, it's okay. It's okay. I have this recurring dream, Jeff, where where finally we get a big building. You know, um, we have a, 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 a tacky. Jeff has been here once before, I think. So um, we finally get this big, beautiful sanctuary. And just before the very first Sunday when I'm going in to preach, the rapture <laughs> happens. And I think, oh, no. And then I thought, well, I wouldn't be disappointed. Not at all. Thank you, Jeff. I appreciate it very, very much. Here is a question from... Wendy, she says, do we have to hold on to our faith in order to be saved? Um, Wendy, you're, 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 I think, referring to the perseverance passages. You know, um, um, if you are saved, you will hold on to your faith. That's the idea. This isn't a test. You know, you got to make it to the finish line, and then you get to the finish line, and, and suddenly Jesus is there saying, okay, you made it. No, when you give yourself to Jesus Christ— when you are born again, that's when we're saved. And then the reality is that truly really saved people are going to make it to the end. Now, that doesn't mean that we're not going to have some difficulties. We're not going to, to, to have some times when we backslide. Um, it just means that, that those who really belong to God are going to make it to the finish line. He who began a good work in us will be faithful to complete it until the day of Christ Jesus. He is the author and perfecter or finisher of our faith. So, Wendy, we don't have to do anything except follow Jesus. And if we're following Jesus, we're going to make it to the end. And when we make it to the end, Jesus is going to look at you and say, well done, good and faithful servant. So it's not sort of like we're on probation for all these years and then we get to the finish line and there's a, like a retirement party for us or anything. You're saved by grace through faith. The moment you're born again, when you surrender your heart to Jesus Christ, when you ask for forgiveness of sins and when you commit to letting him being Lord of your life, that's when salvation occurs. And once again, this is important, Wendy, if you are saved, you're going to make it to the end because he started the work. He is the one who will be faithful to finish the work. Good question. Last question, I think, for today. This is from Richard. He says, Pastor Ron, were there two or three sets of brothers among the twelve disciples? Um, Richard, I I, I believe there were three sets of brothers. Um, There are some who dispute that um, Levi, or we know him as Matthew, uh, and James, uh, this would be James the Less, um, were, were uh, brothers, but they're both called sons of Alphaeus. Uh, and I think that's intentional. I also love the fact that James and John and Peter and Andrew are in that list along with, with uh, Matthew and James. Uh, and, and I love it because it just seems, you know, a church is a family. And, and the model Jesus gave at the beginning was to go out and get uh, three sets of brothers uh, to call his own. And the sense of family um, was, I think, intentional. So uh, I believe there were three sets of brothers, uh, although we're not specifically told that Matthew and James, the sons of Alphaeus, were brothers. Um, it, it, it appears to me as though that's the case. So good question, Richard. Thank you very, very much. Hey, we're getting ready to sign off for the day here. We've got one minute. Um, Let me remind you to pray for uh, Tiger Woods, uh, his children, uh, family, people that uh, pray that he gets saved, that he gives his heart to Jesus. Um, uh, Pray for his physical well-being as well, but but the, the really important thing, and this is always true when people are in a crisis situation, the important thing is that they don't go through what they're going through alone. Um, pray for them. Um, I, I want to see that hard-hearted man um, bow a knee to Jesus Christ and really learn what it's like to live. May the Lord bless you and keep you. Thank you very much for tuning in. Lord willing, I'll be back tomorrow at 4 o'clock. On AM 630, The Word, you've been listening to The Word to Stand On for Life. I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh from Calvary Chapel in San Antonio, Texas. I'll see you tomorrow. Bye-bye.
0: Thanks for spending this time with Calvary Chapel's The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. The Word to Stand On for Life is on every weekday afternoon at 4, and Pastor Ron invites you to find out more about Calvary Chapel at calvarysa.com.